the cycling podcast powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Where are we, Lionel? We're in Compiègne, Richard. We're next to the Chateau de Compiègne. We're standing on these wonderful cobbles here. These are particularly gentrified cobbles just a, a little soupçon of what awaits the riders later on and it is raining really quite hard isn't it it's going to be a i'm not going to use the epic word epic but it's going to be an epic day i think it is going to be an epic day uh, lionel it's sunday morning still early it's been raining all night we stayed in a hotel on the outskirts of Compiègne, shared a hotel with yumbo visma Members of their staff were coming in this morning looking like they'd been on the, the deck of the Titanic. You know, they were just, they were stepping outside for a few seconds and coming back completely um, soaking wet. And, and it's, it was raining all night. That's going to make conditions really hard on the sections of, of cobbles today. Um, we saw a first ever women's race yesterday, Paris-Roubaix Femme. It was, it was epic too. A, an extraordinary race, won in extraordinary fashion. And we'll be hearing a report from that race a little bit later in this episode we're setting the scene here in Compiègne you'll hear from us here we're going to hear from a few riders before the race uh, and then we'll we'll resume our coverage of the men's Paris-Roubaix in uh, Roubaix in the velodrome a bit later on so you'll hear our report from the women's race in the middle of the episode um, but it's a, a historic day today as well for one member of the Cycling Podcast family Mitch Docker um, his life in the peloton features on the cycling podcast of course and it's his last ever race today as a professional yeah and it's been a difficult road to get here this season hasn't it Mitch hasn't done as much racing as he would have liked he then crashed and fractured his elbow in uh, Belgium racing a few weeks ago and it's been touch and go that he would get to the start line here but he passed his test at the Lille Metropole race in the week and he is on the start line today and hoping to grab a word with him. We're standing by the mix zone just next to the presentation podium and the riders are coming through. Really and pass us there, Lionel's Greg Lamond and Bernardino. Well, my, I did do a double take because the Delco team who ride Look Bicycles are wearing a very, very fetching uh, retro remake of the old Lavie Claire jersey. And funnily enough, Rich, I've got my Lavie Claire You are wearing a Lavie Claire t-shirt. We are. Oh, it's well, as if well, I well. planned all this, Rich. Well, we've had a few days here, Lionel, in the, the northeast of France. Um, you came over on Thursday evening and we rode the cobbles ourselves on Friday, didn't we? We did, yeah. Um, what? I mean, it was. it's always good to just remind yourself how difficult they are for us mere mortals and how much more difficult than the Flandrian cobbles the cobblestones of Paris-Roubaix are. The roads are really not fit for purpose, are they? They're just farm tracks. The cobbles are in uh, a pretty poor state in places and the five-star sections such as the Arenberg, Mont-Jean-Pavel and Carrefour de l'Arbre are really, really very, very difficult. And as we saw in the women's race yesterday, once one rider goes down in the wet, it is very hard for people to change their line quickly enough to go round. And um, unfortunately, as we stand here, we know that there will be crashes today. That is part of Paris-Roubaix. And I always wonder how the riders really feel behind the masks. I mean, some of them literally are wearing masks, of course, because of the COVID restrictions. But there must be some nervous people in these team buses behind us because there's no getting away from the fact that the rain makes everyone more nervous. It makes the conditions much more dangerous. And no one wants to throttle back, do they? There is still Paris-Roubaix on the line. 
Well, I just spoke to Matthew Jorgensen, the young American on Movistar, who was knocked off his bike yesterday by a car while out training, and so has a bit of a leg injury that is a slight concern, and that's not what you want ahead of your first ever Paris-Roubaix, but he was reflecting the fact that the last time this race was held, he wasn't even a professional bike rider. You know, it's uh, Easter 2019 is the last time this race was held. Philippe Gilbert was the winner, and it's it sort of underlines how long ago that was and um, when you consider that really nobody has been talking to Gilbert as a possible winner here he's a couple of years older and um, you know he's not been in, in terrific form and not really been a factor in these races um, a lot of talk of the, the cyclocross specialists you know Tom Pidcock said the other day that you know, watch out for the cyclocross guys which makes a lot of sense Lizzie Dagnan yesterday in her Pyra Bay used some cyclocross skills that she'd been She'd learned from Lucinda Brand, her teammate, who'd given her a bit of advice about how to ride when your when your wheels slip, and that that served her well. But um, you know, Wat van Aert, Matthew van der Poel, those guys perhaps the favourites today. You would think so, but I do think that on the one hand, the form book gets ripped up because luck plays such a big role. The positioning going into sectors, uh, you know, even the best and strongest riders can have a split seconds mishap and that can change the race completely for them and I mean you you do get a sense on a morning like this why Paris-Roubaix of all the races in the world perhaps only the Tour de France captures the imagination in quite the same way it's it's, it's almost <coughs> it's almost anachronistic isn't it I said to you last night over dinner Rich if Paris-Roubaix didn't exist it probably wouldn't be invented because you know it it just pushes everybody to the limit of what is possible, what is acceptable, I think. And we saw that in the women's race yesterday, um, just you know, how the riders rise to the occasion and they rise to that challenge. It's quite extraordinary, especially seeing them come across the cobbles as fast and as in control as they did at one moment on the first sector I saw, and then when they got wet, it was a completely different game a little bit later on. And it's going to be wet from the start of the day. It might dry up a bit later on, but we're waiting here for Mitch Docker in the mix zone. You spoke to his his friend Luke Durbridge, um, another guy who who rides well in races like this. Um, you spoke to him a few minutes ago. Let's hear from Luke Durbridge now from Team Bike Exchange. Well, it's a really momentous day for a very good friend of yours this morning. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, there's a few guys retiring, but uh, yeah, one of good friends of mine is Mitch Docker, and um, it was his last race of the season, so. Uh, for the season for his career so uh what a day to make sure that's your last race uh you can't uh no one can choose the weather so uh but no it's it's be special to line up with him and um owe a lot to him uh teaching me how to come over and do the classics and things like that so uh yeah looking forward to that i mean you know what a positive guy he is but it's been a difficult year hasn't it and he always wanted to end with Paris-Roubaix his favorite race a race that he's had some very difficult moments in but there's something about his relationship with Paris-Roubaix that makes it a fitting send-off, I guess. Yeah, he's had a he's had a hell of a season, to say the least. Um, yeah, I think that just shows a fighting spirit in him. Um, just keeps coming back uh, after adver- adversity. After adversity, broke his broke his elbow and then sick and then missed the races and hardly got raced this year really. And uh, but yeah, he just kept training, kept fighting, and. Um, kept believing so he's here now and uh, that just shows the credit to uh, the fighting character he is and that's why he's had such a long career and successful career he has so uh, yeah I wish him all the best. 
And how about you? I mean, what did you think when you saw the weather forecast and woke up this morning and realised that the forecast had been right for once? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think anyone really wants to race in the pissing rain in Paru Bay, but at least it's, uh, it was bound to happen. Uh, it's been 20 years since the last one, so I wasn't around when it was, uh, when it was a wet one. So I guess it's just going to be one for the ages and um, need a bit of luck, but uh, you make your own luck, so be in front of it. Start with the right mentality, get out there, be ready to fight, and um, we'll go from there. And how, did it feel different, the fact that it's at the end of a long year and it's been 18 months since the last one? Oh, for sure, for sure. There's a lot of tired boys. There's a lot of people, this is the last race of their season. Uh, there's a lot of guys who just want to go home. Uh, there's a lot of guys that really want to be here because they haven't done anything all year. So it's just a really mixed uh, emotions in the peloton. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see out there. Well, that was Luke Durbridge. We'll hear from Mitch Docker in a moment or two. Um, but there's uh, a few other uh, nervous riders here. Some riders making their debut at Pyro Bay. And what a debut to make. I mentioned Matthew Jorgensen, the young American. Uh, an older, more established rider making his debut here is Michal Kwiatkowski, the Polish rider at Team Ineos Grenadiers. Um, let's hear from him now. He, he, another significant aspect of today is that it's his last, the last ever race of his teammate and countryman Michal Golash, who is retiring after today. And that clearly is another reason for Kwiatkowski to be here, um, honouring his friends. So let's hear now from Michal Kwiatkowski. Michal, this is your first Paris-Roubaix. Yeah. Is this a race that you've, you've wanted to ride for a few years? Uh, yeah, I wanted to have that race in, uh, in my calendar one year. And, uh, you know, postponing the Roubaix to October uh, opened that opportunity. But I don't know, I'm kind of regretting announcing that weather and all this uh, unknown uh you know situation what will happen on the first sector and, and later on that's uh, i'm kind of scared how have you felt riding the cobbles i mean what was that your first experience riding the, the roubaix cobbles no uh i did three times already at the tour de france uh, which one of one of the editions was wet uh so uh, i've got that experience but uh, i think it's completely different you know 55 kilometers of cobble sections uh, to 60 kilometers of a race that, that will be a tough tough race to finish and did i read on twitter that you're planning to ride or you was hinted that you're planning to ride all the way back from ghent back home to poland is that right no i was only joking that uh that my friend should do it you know Micha goes finishing a career uh so uh that was not that would be nice for him to to ride it back from uh, from the last race home but uh I think uh, with the all circumstances, you know, the race like today and his family's here, everybody's supporting, that would be, uh, I think, a little bit too much. So, uh, but yeah, I was uh, putting pressure a bit on him. And, uh, but on the end, I think it's uh, all about focus today and we will try to celebrate his, his last race, his last year. Amazing career. I had, uh, you know, Michal in the, you know, next to me for many years. We did many race days together, uh, even more, you know, training days training hours and uh, you know my cycling journey would be much more boring uh, without him so uh, you know he's one of those guys who you, you want to have next to you and you know for 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 good or for the bad and uh, i'm gonna miss him to be honest uh, but yeah for sure we will see him around in cycling and your sports director here service canavan was the, the last winner of a pirate bay yeah. in weather like this has he given you any special tips advice today yeah, obviously, you know, uh, 
it's 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 nice and uh, to have uh, you know guy like uh, Servas you know next to you when um, when you know that you know it's just just a lottery but you can you can win that lottery on the end of the day uh, today so he's uh, best proof uh, that that anything is possible at, at, at this race and uh, if you really stay concentrated then uh, that that you know that maybe will uh, turn out that you are the winner of the monument of Paris Roubaix and uh, having that uh, cobblestone in, uh, in your home uh, you know, standing somewhere that would be amazing experience. So it's it's obviously nice to have a guy who who prove it that uh, that you know you anyone can can like kind of win that race. Obviously, he, he had uh, good results in the past, but uh, you know one of the toughest editions in the wet, winning that one. It's uh, it's crazy. That was Michal Kwiatkowski. Our debutants seem to be slightly regretting his decision um, to, to ride this year's Pirate Bay. Uh, it is really, you know, we're, we've just been speaking to Adam Blythe, Lionel, who is preparing to do this race for television on the back of a motorbike, and he's nervous because the danger out there is very real, isn't it? I mean, we saw yesterday in the women's race, it wasn't raining, but there were wet patches of cobbles, and when one rider went down, a lot of riders went down behind, it's, it's, it's going to be nasty out there. It is going to be nasty out there. Um, I mean, I'm surprised that Adam Blythe is wearing white trainers. That's a that's a poor choice for going on the motorbike. I hope he's got something to put over those. Um, There's a man who wore white trainers yesterday and, and wrote them off, but you're back. You've, you look like you've given them a bit of a clean overnight. Yeah, I've got some boots in the car because we're going to go to some of the cobble sections. Adam was also making the point that the weather does change the race in the sense that it may break up a bit more on the earlier sectors of Pave. The one that the riders do fear is the Forest of Arenberg, and for good reason. It's the fast, down, slightly downhill approach to it, straight, long downhill approach to it, which means that they can be really travelling, hitting the cobbles, and they are brutal cobblestones, as we experienced on Friday from just a little recon ride. Um, and... Uh, well, Adam was saying, you know, it might be sort of cross tailwind, which may make it quite fast. But if the pressure's on and things start to split up over the earlier sections of cobbles and it's down to manageable groups of sort of 20, 15, that does reduce the danger somewhat. If the whole peloton's still together heading towards the Arenberg in these conditions, uh, it's, it is just not for the faint hearted, is it? Um, but we will have to see what happens in the opening 100 kilometers or so you know the, the weather i think just rips up the um the, the format doesn't it, it makes... speculation a lot of speculation in this episode so far that, that's it i mean i think i was thinking what's going to happen and who are the favorites i mean i think uh, the big two matthew van der poel and wow van art not forgetting tackle van der horn adam blythe's tip that's true i'm not he's maybe the in the big 10 perhaps not the big two but the, but the conditions mean that, as I said earlier, the, there's a lottery aspect to it. Not just a, not just luck, but um, avoiding... Form book out the window, Lionel. Form Football manager, Lionel. <laughs> uh, they'll just have to take it one sector at a time. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a pirate bay of two halves, I think. And, uh, well, um, we're going to cross over to yesterday, in a, quite soon, to our report from yesterday's hugely enjoyable and uh, 
historic first edition of Women's Pirate Bay. We'll hear our, our report from, from yesterday before we cross back to the, the velodrome for the finale later on. Um, but we have been waiting here for Mitch Docker, his final race today. And uh, you spoke to him a moment or two ago, Lionel. Let's hear from Mitch Docker ahead of today's race. How are you, boys? I'm good, thanks. How are you? More importantly, how are you this morning? I'm nervous. I'm so f nervous. I don't know why. Like, I just got to ride through it, but I think it's just because I care about the race and I care about my legacy. I don't want to just be that guy. And so I'm also scared of the, the actual parkour. But I think the problem is, as great as all the support has been, it also adds to the nerves. You know, all the messages, all that sort of stuff. Sometimes you want to be just like, just do what you normally do and just go out and race. Um, so once the race starts, I think, I think I'll be all right. Can you focus on what your job is today and, and what actually is your job today? Well, we're all going to just race. I think it's going to be just a... We haven't necessarily got a set like, you go for the break, I go for the break, wait for that guy. I think it's quite an even team without one standout leader. You know, obviously Michael Valgren and, you know, Sebastian Langevelt are the two sort of guys who would probably go very far in the race but the rest of us including those guys are going to try and go in the break going to try and just race it on the front foot because I predict it'll split up you know I just don't think it's with the weather okay the wind's not as strong but with the weather with the cobbles it's going to be one of those days where a group goes but then if you're in the second or third group doesn't mean you're out of the race you can ride back um, so everyone just has to race weirdly a bit amateur style and just protect yourself but if you're with a teammate look after each other we're not just going to have guys in the wind burning themselves or something like that i mean this is something that no one will have experienced a properly wet edition of Paris bay i mean it's something that the fans anticipate from the comfort of their sofa but i can tell that the nerves are you know as everyone's coming through here and as the start gets closer it must add a whole other layer to the difficulty of the cobbles I've always said I want to do a, Paris, a wet Paris-Roubaix and every year that I get close to it then I pull out of that comment. It's one of those things that also with normal Roubaix you enjoy it afterwards. You don't, I, you don't really enjoy it in the moment because it's so hard and, and today especially, I don't know, I'm just thinking to myself, race the first hundred full gas, get to that first sector and then that's the second race and see what happens. I'm going to definitely go with a bit more of a cautious side than I would have done if I was a younger guy. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad decision today. I think even some other guys should take that approach because just say you go in and you fight for that wheel and you do crash, that could be race over opposed to maybe losing a few positions and make it up later. Maybe that's not the right way to talk when you're trying to win the race, but I don't know. I, think, I don't think anyone knows. Like what's it going to be like we saw the women yesterday and it's worse than that so yeah it doesn't feel like the last day of term at school where they allow you to wear non-uniform or bring in some toys i mean i can tell that the the nerves are the nerves are real i mean this is also a unique race in the sense that even if you know you're going to be outside the time limit everyone pushes on to the velodrome don't they yeah i've thought about that too i thought you know as Ultimately, there's going to come a point, you know, where wherever you are, maybe that's coming off the front group, or maybe that's coming off the you own know, the first sector, or whatever. You're going to have to ultimately make that decision about trying to get in. And for me, it's always been about trying to get in time. 
of course that's going to be a goal again today but I'm just going to try and get in I want to get in um, and I hope there's nothing that restricts me from riding it out yeah that's all I hope for well we hope to see you in the velodrome in uh, a few hours time and Mitch you've been recording your thoughts as the weeks unfolded and that episode of life in the peloton the road to route bay I guess we can call it will be out on Wednesday it will be thoughts I think it's always great getting the pre-thoughts but I think it's going to be even better getting the post-thoughts so I've got everyone lined up tonight. I'm going to meet up with the Mitchelton boys for a few cold ones later. Maybe go on the bus with the fan club up to Ghent. Could be an experience. Um, yeah. I don't know. Can you imagine, like, I just saw Luke Rowe riding with a cut hat. Can you actually imagine riding this taffy style today? That's what? Imagine riding it taffy style today. <laughs> no helmet, cut cap, wet Roubaix. Unbelievable. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. And now you can wear the Super Sapiens Energy Band, the first and only wearable that can display real-time glucose data directly from Abbott's LibreSense Glucose Sport Biosensor. The Super Sapiens Energy Band is available at supersapiens.com for €159. Thank you very much indeed to Super Sapiens, our title sponsor. We're very grateful to them for their support. It's thanks to their support that we are able to be out at races like this. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a blessing or a curse because, Lionel, we've uh, left Compiègne. We are on the third sector of Cobbles. Where exactly are we? We're at Kievi and we are just as the cobblestones start to rise and if you can feel the wind they're going to have a bit of a cross headwind here aren't they but when they come onto the cobbles it's very very fast downhill with a bit of a turn and then i guess going uphill into the wind just makes it a little bit safer if you look behind you richard there's a couple of big wind turbines spinning around there at a very low cadence a sort of world hour record francesco moser type cadence um oh here they are lionel here's the breakaway just appeared around the corner going at a fair old lick as they always are it's a big breakaway um, Luke Rowe on the front with Gianni Moscon on his wheel Luke Durbridge is up there we heard from him earlier of course there's a breakaway they're through they've got almost two minutes on the on the bunch um, Tim de Klerk was in that breakaway, but he's having a pretty tough time and he's back in the cars now. Quite surprising to see. Um, a little update on Mitch Docker, who we heard from, of course, in the last part. Unfortunately, he was one of two riders that crashed in the first kilometre of the race. Picked himself back up and the last we heard, he's, he's in the race and hopefully okay. Even before they reached the cobbles, there were quite a few crashes. Stefan Kuhn came off quite nastily, but um, so far, on the cobbles, touch wood, there haven't been any crashes and that's the thing, even just walking up this little section here, Lionel, they're so slippy, there's this coating of sort of mud and, and water on top that makes them absolutely treacherous. Yeah, I mean it's about as bad as I can remember seeing them uh, in any Paris Bay. I, I should have said earlier I was here for the last truly wet 
edition, which Cerveza Carnarvon won 20 years ago. And that day, the riders were all coated in a sort of grey film by uh, about sector five or six. Um, and I suspect it's going to be the same today, although it's a bit water, a bit more watery, isn't it? So they're just getting wet and, and brown rather than covered in sludge, but really unpleasant conditions. Daniel Oss goes past, and I think another rider just playing in. Bunch is, is coming, and the helicopter is above, heralding their arrival very soon. Matthew Jorgensen was in the break. I mentioned I spoke to him at the start. He's having a good debut, Perry. But let's hear a little bit about what his thoughts were ahead of the race from the start this morning as we await the peloton. Matteo, um, the last time Pirate Bay was held, you weren't even a professional rider. Yeah. Uh, here you are, um, quite a day for your debut in this race. How do you feel? Yeah, uh, I feel okay. I actually crashed yesterday in, uh, <laughs> on the training ride. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is what it is today, I think. It's, I'm not really going to feel any of that because, yeah, it's going to be a big day out. Was that on the cobbles yesterday? No, just on the road, a white road. A uh, car pulled out of their driveway and I was on a bit of a corner going a bit fast and pulled the rear brake and just slid out yesterday. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. I, I doubt I'll feel any of that. I have a big, bit of a score on my not, not what you need, though, before a day like today. No, no, not for sure not. But I think today will be a bit more serious than that. <laughs> is this a race that you've, uh, you've looked forward to doing? I mean, is this a race that you have watched in the past and thought one day you'd like to do it? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely watched it in the past. It's a beautiful race to watch. Um, it's not, I guess I, I can't say it's a race that I've always, like, yearned to do as a rider. Uh, I did it once as a U23, and I did it in the hospital. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a race that I'm a bit scared of, but I think, uh, yeah, we'll just see how it goes today. And uh, definitely give it my best to, to finish. That'd be amazing to finish the race. Just fine. I see you've got some strapping around your hands. What else, what other kind of precautions have you taken to protect yourself against the cobbles yeah just this uh, I just did this like three minutes ago I, I don't know uh, it's gonna do much but I have a bit of I have some scars here on my hand from the crash so yeah I covered them up but yeah they might just get wet and fall off in the first hour so <laughs> it could do nothing Marco Haller who had punctured from the break just in front of the peloton here as they come barreling past us got Matty Moritz on the front of the bunch there Heard a cry there for Florian Seneschal, local favourite, of course. Niels Paula, mind your feet, Lionel. Don't fall into the... Don't fall into the pave. Niels Pollitt there, just off the back of the first group, which is a surprise. He was a rider that I thought would do really well today. He's ridden well in this race in the past, of course. Chris Yul Jensen, just off the back as well. Matteo Trenton off the back as well. We're looking out for Mitch Docker here, aren't we? Any sign of Mitch? Somebody trying to manage the cobbles on a puncture. Dylan Van Barl, way off the back. So one of the fancied riders from today. There's Mitch. Out of it. Mitch oh, went just yeah. went past. He's got a cut on his shorts, presumably from the crash in the first kilometre. Don't think he's been down again, but 
it just gives you a sense here doesn't it of how hard it is when the riders are coming through they're still in a line but it's a it's a fractured line now isn't it and in amongst the cars is a horrible place to be and it's just a survival really and, and a hope that they can perhaps join up with a group further on up the road and uh, get themselves back into the race in some form well let's go from the rain here back to what felt in contrast or in, in comparison to this more balmy the women's race yesterday and we were there from start to finish let's hear from that and you'll hear from us again from the men's race at the Roubaix Velodrome Where are we, Lionel? We are in Denan for the start of a historic day for cycling, the first edition of Paris-Roubaix for women. And uh, the atmosphere is building quite nicely. What are we now? Around about an hour before the start, the team presentation is happening and uh, they will be approaching the cobbles really very shortly, won't they? After only 33 kilometers of racing, after a couple of laps of the uh, town here, They'll be heading to that first section and we're going to be racing to get there before them, aren't we? We are, that is the plan. It is genuinely exciting because um, it, it's, it's the first time this race has been held, um, but it's also the first time this kind of race has been held for, for female riders. You, they're, they're, they do cobbled races and, and off-road races. You know, Strada Bianca has been around quite a few years, but as we know, from riding on the cobbles yesterday the cobbles here are very very different to anything else in any other race in the world it's a unique event in men's cycling now it's a, a unique event in women's cycling too and it's genuinely fascinating um to me to see just how today goes yeah and i think being there for that first section of pave that is the historic moment isn't it the peloton will be approaching will a break be away we just we just don't know what will be happening but it will be very interesting to see the shape of the race as they enter the section and what happens on that first section of cobbles because it could in a way be decisive it will certainly eliminate riders won't it put them out of the picture for the rest of the race one of the great things about women's racing is that the top women riders tend to ride all the races and that's different to, to men's cycling where Pyro Bay you know attracts riders who are classic specialists who can who are generally quite big it struck me yesterday while we were out riding that you know FTJ rode past us with Cecilia Utrup Ludwig that her equivalent in the male peloton would be uh, you know a small climber uh, who would never be sent to Pyro Bay yet here she is riding Pyro Bay so it, it's it's fascinating it's intriguing it isn't a race for specialists it's a race for all the top female riders in the world and they're pretty much all here um, we have spoken to a couple already, Lionel, we're going to wait for some of the other teams to come through and speak to some of the other riders now, but shall we hear from, first of all, our audio diarist, Marjolaine Vantagalof, who rides for Drops Le Col. Um, she told us a bit, well, we've asked all, we're asking all the riders what, um, how their recons went ahead of the race on the cobbles and what they think will happen. We'll then hear from Britt Canavan, the daughter of Servas Canavan, uh, the 2001 Pyro Bay winner. Um, and she's here uh, making her debut in this race as well, as everybody is. So let's hear first from Marilyn Vantagalof and then from Britt Canavan. How, how is the recon or recons? How have they gone? Yeah, they've gone really well. I'm uh, really excited for this race. I think I'm one of the most prepared girls in the peloton, so that's going to help me a lot today, I think. 
And what, what do you think is going to happen in the race? I mean, we're into uncharted territory. You know, it's first women's Pirate Bay. Really tough. The, the opening sector is really tough. What, what's going to happen in the race? Do you think it'll it'll evolve over the course of the sector? Or can you see it exploding into pieces on that first sector? Yeah, I think the first three, four sectors is going to just explode. And from then on, it's just going to stick to your groups and hope for the best, I think. And uh, just hope that you don't get into trouble in, those first, in the first part of the race, because that will be crucial, yeah. Looking forward to your diary from here. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I will t- do one tomorrow on my travel day to a women's tour. I was in the velodrome when your father won Peru Bay all those years ago. I just yeah. wondered, have you have you ever watched much of the race on, uh, I don't know, DVD or YouTube? Yeah, I've watched the last, I think, 15K. It's on YouTube, so I've watched it a couple of times. It's really nice to see, so yeah, that's it. Have you talked to him much this week about how to you know approach the race and what to expect yeah mostly just to uh, keep riding until you're in the velodrome not give up and it's gonna be a hard race so you just have to uh, mentally also prepare for it and we try not to talk about it too much but uh, just prepare it well and yeah we'll see about it does he talk much about his win to you uh, how the the whole race unfolded for him that day yeah, a bit. He said that he also had a flat in the last, I think, 20-25k. And that uh, on the last cobble section, his uh, tires were really, uh, really hard. So that he could go really, really fast in the in the end. And uh, where he attacked, he also uh, told me that. And yeah, it's really, really nice to see. Every time I uh, cross that uh, point where he attacked, uh, I think about it. So it's fine. Can you remember the first time you rode a bike on the cobbles? Um, I think it was 2014, I'm not, yeah, in 2013 I really started uh, racing my bike, and 2014 we did a recon with uh, my club team that I was uh, a member of, and it was also here, the last 70k of uh, Barrier Band, I just remember it being really, really hard and almost crying when I was on uh, Carrefour de Lavore, so, yeah, but... It's still hard now, but you go a little bit faster, so it doesn't take that long anymore. And lastly, how was your recon rides this week? Uh, do, do you feel feel good going into the race today? Yeah, yeah, I felt I felt strong on the cobbles, so that's good. And we tested a lot of things with the team, like tires, wheels, bikes. So I think that's a, that's a really good thing, and we're ready for it. Shoot, uh, shoot at du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's uh, PK, the voice of Radio Pyrube, interrupting this episode to remind us to tell you that it is sponsored by Curators of Craft. Yes, Curators of Craft, friends of the Cycling Podcast. They've actually been over watching Pyrube this weekend, but they base themselves in Bruges, I gather, and we're on a bit of a beer tasting few days, checking out some uh, hidden gems, I think, for... Uh, future collection because curators of craft basically put together beautiful boxes of very nice beers and they take all of the selection process out of it for you you can just trust Graham and Kate if you want and they will send you a box of beers or you can look on the website curatorsofcraft.co.uk and take your pick and they sent me a box recently they also have your box Richard, but unfortunately we haven't managed to meet up with them. Hope included a Scottish beer. Did it include a Scottish beer? It did, beer? just for me. Ah, well I particularly enjoyed the Belgian beers that were included in my recent box. Um, 
seems appropriate for this time of year. And if you would like to try some Curators of Craft beers, go to curatorsofcraft.co.uk or follow them on social media, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. You can find them. And there's an exclusive offer for listeners to the cycling podcast with a discount code which is rubay15 that's rubay15 for 15% off all orders over 40 pounds and free uk mainland delivery on all orders over 60 pounds so as i say they combine their passion for cycling with their passion for uh, nice beers from all over the world not just uh, europe but scandinavia north america and the uk and as I say, it's been a pleasure to sample the beers that Graham and Kate have put together. They really put uh, the, the sort of passion for travel into all of the collections on their website. And that's Ruby, the place where a bike race finishes, not the very nice left Ruby that we uh-huh, had the other night. Uh-huh, yes, yes. The code is R-O-U-B-A-I-X-1-5. Well, Lionel, we better get ourselves uh, off to the first sector, leave the start here. Spoke to a few more riders just now about how the... The recons have, have gone. Audrey cordon Rago there made the point. They've done lots of recons because this race, of course, has been cancelled or rescheduled twice. So uh, they're pretty well acquainted with the cobbles by now. Um, but today it's for real. And we spoke to a few more riders there. Let's hear first from uh, Marlon Rooser. How, how have the recons gone? I mean, you know, what, how's, how's it been riding on the cobbles? What do you think of them? Um, I had the big respect from this ca- of these cables because everybody says it's so bad. So I had uh, a bit of uh, fear in my mind already. But it's not so bad. I really like riding couples. Just that I'm missing some skills. So for me, if something is not going the right way or there is an obstacle or something, I, I'm a little bit struggling and I have really to work on that. But besides that, I really like this kind of racing with these cobbles. I mean, it's a new race. We don't know what's going to happen, but what do you think will happen? Is it going to be a race that develops over the sectors or could you see it exploding uh, very early on? Yeah, I think there is three three main things to mention. For sure, the wind today will play a huge role. Even before entering the couples, we have some sections with heavy crosswind. Depends on the team strategies, but for sure there can already happen something and the race will be super nervous for entering the first sectors. And then it will be kind of elimination for a while and for sure they will build up a small group. And then in this small group it's not elimination maybe, but more who is going to win and how and can also end up in a sprint. So I think it's these three parts in the race you have to... You sound quite confident. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I might tip you after all. <laughs> no, no, I just know how it will go, but I'm <laughs> no, I really don't see me today. I feel it's more for me like a big recon also with that material and with that state uh, I am now after this season. I, I think in future may it could maybe be something for me. For sure I have to build up skills and uh, develop it, but for future today I make a recon, a good recon. I also spoke to a rider who I think is somebody nobody's been talking about much, but is one of the favourites for today, Lisa Brenner. Yeah, I, I mean, it's the most brutal cobbles I've ever uh, done. And um, it's um, yeah going to be, of course, a big question of how you can enter the sections and how you get over it, if you can pick a good line. and. Um, so I expect a, a very big fight in the beginning of the race for the first um, 
entrance of the first sections. It's a really tough first sector. Do you think, how do you see the race developing? Do you think it will sort of blow to bits early on or, or, or develop over the sectors? Yeah, I mean, I think it will be uh, this big fight for the first sections and I also think that the already there um, it can be, um, yeah, you cannot win the race there but you can definitely lose it and um, then the longer the race gets the more tired people will become and um, the closer we get to the final I think uh, the power um, you have left is uh, what you need to go into the final of this race. And finally before we head off to sector one or sector 17 let's hear from Audrey Cordon Rigaud of Trek Segafredo a French rider who's been very vocal in her calls for uh, Paris-Roubaix and other women's races. Here's what she said just minutes before the start. Right now, some minutes before, I'm really like focused and stressed and emotioned. How have the recons gone? I mean, how have you felt riding on the cobbles the last few days? Uh, we've been lucky enough to do many recons because of the constellations. So uh, we've been trying on every kind of weather. So everything went well. We have really good material. I think we have the best material. So I'm pretty confident on that. How do you think the race will, will go? Because, I mean, the first sector is very, very hard. Do you see the race kind of exploding quite early on or developing over the course of it? I think a big part of the bunch already going to explode on the first uh, sections. And then, of course, uh, the best will be there. And uh, if you're lucky enough, then you go to the end. I'm a couple of hundred metres from the start of the first section of Pave. I can just about see the banner signalling the start of the cobbles and the peloton have just come through just in sight now. They're all together. There was a breakaway, but that was caught a few kilometres before the start of the cobbles and it's Trek Segafredo leading a couple of Trek riders at the front. And that's quite a big group there as they go around the S-Bend. Probably 60 riders there, and then there's a few gaps. But they are thundering over the cobbles, all trying to take the best racing line down the middle. And there they go. Now a third group on the road. And perhaps a few more gaps opening up at the back here. Riders in amongst the cars. Well, as they came past me, it was Lizzie Dignan on the front for Trek Segafredo and Trixie Warak just behind. I can see them now. They've taken the right-hand bend just up by the water tower. So let's hand over to Richard, who's probably a kilometre or so further down the road. Well, I don't know what Lionel's seen and what he's told you because we're about a kilometre apart. I'm deeper into the cobbles on a really rough section. But here come the riders now. And it's Lizzie Dagnan off the front on her own. Um, just ahead of a big group led by Lotte Kopecky, the Belgian champion. And, oh, they're clattering over. You can just hear them. A little split there, but really a big group. Um, Lorena Vibus just off the back of that group, which is a bit of a surprise. But Peloton in about three 
different, four different groups at the moment. I must say, I expected greater carnage. Leah Thomas there at the back, not having such a good day, but looks at things. I expected the, um, as we heard earlier, um, from some of the riders, they thought that uh, it would really explode. And so far, about two kilometers into this first cobbled section, it's certainly not exploded. Big group still together, and they're really flying across the cobbles here. I've come to Mons en Pavel, sector 11. So there's 10 sectors to go after this. And I can just see the lone leader, Lizzie Dignan, coming up to the sharp right-hand bend. She'll get a brief respite from the cobbles on that corner. And then it's back onto the stones. And, well, this is one of two five-star sections in the women's race. The other, of course, is the hellish Carrefour de Libra. But this is its equal. Uh, the cobbles here are wet and muddy as well. I'm standing back from the road because there's a, a very brown muddy puddle in front of me and I think the team cars are gonna have a good go at splashing me and here comes Daigon and she is flying over the cobbles and from what I can tell the race has started to break up behind her she has opened quite a gap remember when I was back at Hornang the very first sector she led them onto the cobbles and by the time they passed Richard she had a gap over everybody else and that gap has gone out and according to the information I've got it's almost two minutes so let's get the stopwatch on. We've had a few spots of rain and that rain is getting heavier now as the chase group approaches that right hand corner that I was talking about looks to be two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve riders in that group and among them Elisa Longo-Borghini, Mariana Voss, Christian Majerus, Lisa Brenauer and Marta Bastianelli but the clock is ticking on the gap is certainly going to be two minutes Dignan has a very good advantage with under 50 kilometers to race and then it looks like the gaps are really opening up behind another 45 seconds to the third group on the road here come the chasers There goes the European champion, Ellen van Dijk. And also in that group, the new world champion, Elisa Balsamo. And the Belgian champion, Lotta Kopecky. So not a great day for the champions in this edition of Paris-Roubaix. They've got a lot of ground to make up. And the way the race is going, it's full on now. Those gaps are not going to be easy to close at all. Simon, we're back in the van, heading towards Roubaix, hoping to make it to the velodrome in time for the finish. 
But you were stood on the cobbled section at mons en pavel taking photos a few hundred metres further on from where I was, and you just happened to be right by the big crash in the chase group, which took down a lot of riders. What did you see? What happened? Well, I, I wasn't sure if it was the big crash, because I, I, I thought there must have been stuff going on all along that section, but it turns out that um, having looked quickly back at the footage, it looks like the first crashes just started to happen right next to me and you've got to make that decision as the photographer I was sort of analyzing whether they were hurt do you you, you, you photograph them as they're sort of falling and then then you stop really because it because they looked in a lot of pain it was muddy there's cars coming there's motorbikes coming there's a motorbike fell off with a photographer on the back just covered in mud it's not even raining yet and um, that that was slippery, shall we say. It certainly looked a nasty one because obviously once one rider went down, it looked like um, Elisa Longo-Borghini was one of the riders who went down. Um, but then basically they were coming round a bit of a bend, weren't they? And the road was, well, it was, it was going one way, then the next. Um, not quite downhill, not quite uphill, but falling away quite dramatically at the sides where it was even wetter with puddles um, very very difficult for the riders who are coming round that corner to react and basically one crash it looks like set off a chain reaction I think there was one line possibly through that little section that was just about passable and if you deviated at all from that line you were uh, going to go down whatever, whatever you did people were getting off and walking around it um, which was probably sensible because if you hit your hips on that, not good. Le sourire, il restera un tour, un tour de piste à couvrir. Mesdames et messieurs, pour la Britannique, Lizzie Tegnan, le dernier tour. Regardez le sourire de l'ancienne championne du monde. Elle a remporté le Tour des Flandres, elle a remporté donc Ed Newsblad, elle a remporté le Tour de Suisse cette année, elle a remporté la course sur le Vélodrome. Alors que Lizzie Tegnan est déjà sacrée vainqueur de la première édition. Mais mesdames et messieurs, on peut l'ovationner comme il se doit. 238 victoires à son actif. Marianne Voss qui va prendre la place de deuxième sur le podium ici de Paris-Roubaix. Marianne Voss est le plus grand palmarès du cyclisme. Where have you been, Lionel? Well, I've been out on the cobbles again, Richard. Uh, ruining another pair of trainers. I know, I'm afraid so. My Lacoste trainers are for the bin now. One final outing tomorrow for the men's race, perhaps, but um, not the wisest footwear. It was incredible out there. The section at Mont-Jean-Pavel, as we heard Simon's account of the crashes he he witnessed the crashes they happened right in front of him it was a proper Paris-Roubaix and uh, when we got back into Simon's van to come up here to the velodrome it was a real race against time because Lizzie Dignan and the chasers were they were flying here I mean the race time is they must have been up on the fastest schedule I think um, a real, real day out, and I think the uh, the fact that the heaviest rain of the day is falling now is a is a saving grace, really, because it was it was carnage enough out there. I'm I'm totally with you now on the let's not pray for a wet Roubaix. Indeed, uh, a great race, a great winner. Lizzie Dignan came into the velodrome on her own. Marina Voss 
uh, launched a, a late pursuit but couldn't make contact, left it maybe a bit too late. Uh, but there were some terrific rides out there from a lot of riders. I was struck here in the track centre by how many of the riders who came across the line were smiling and, and really almost, you could say, enjoyed it. One of those riders was uh, a rider we spoke to at the start, Marilyn Van who's been keeping an audio diary for Friends of the Podcast all year as the podium uh, presentations begin behind us. But uh, Marilyn finished 13th, a really good ride by her. Um, she finished in, in great company and I uh, spoke to her just after she crossed the line. How was that? Oh, it was amazing. I've never had so much cramp in my life, but it was everything I dreamed of and more. So uh, I saw motorbikes getting stuck in the mud. I saw girls crash in front of me and trying to get over it and just keep going. I was dropped at some point, came back, and I found myself with the best girls in the world. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Uh, and I felt like I belonged there. That was for me the most important part. I think I earned my place. And uh, in the end, uh, cramps got me. Uh, I had to stop for a crash and put my foot on the ground and I cramped up. And since then I couldn't do anything anymore. But luckily uh, I got in a good group and they brought me to the finish. So I was very grateful. You said at the start that you didn't think anybody would be as well prepared for the cobbles. I mean, is that how you felt? Did you cope with them pretty well? Did yeah. You yeah, I, uh, I was actually coaching some girls what was coming up so they could help me get to the front. And it really helped me. I felt confident every time. So, yeah, I, the first sector I was fourth place. And from then on, I was like, okay, this is my day. And, I mean, an amazing race, an amazing winner. Lizzie Dagen went on the first sector of cobbles. Crazy. Could you believe that? Yeah, that was crazy. I saw her go, I was in the third wheel, and I was like, oh, it's way too early. And I saw no one responded to it. And she got a quite a, a, a big gap quickly. And um, I asked uh, some of the girls uh, with only 30K to go how, how much the gap was, and they were like two minutes. I was like, oh my God, she's gonna make it. Yeah. What, what was happening behind? I mean, was it in some senses easier for a rider on their own than, than for riders in a group? Yeah, it was, uh, actually in, in the group, it was pretty nice. It was actually going pretty easy, so um, everyone was looking at each other, no one was really working that hard. And if they wanted to, they couldn't. So uh, for me, it was nice, so I could just hang on. But for the big uh, teams, it was pretty hard to do. But as you say, you were in some great company today. You were right up there with some of the best riders in the world. Yeah, that's amazing. I've been working hard for this, and I've actually been not, not been training uh, this much for a long time, and just started uh, last year really focusing more on my cycling and not on my physical therapy so uh, I want to try, keep trying this and with my two years with Dropsicle uh, trying to keep this going. Only six months until the next one. Yeah I'm really excited already. Well Richard another rider who seemed to enjoy the race was the Canadian champion Alison Jackson. I spoke to her here in the track centre a few minutes ago. Can you sum up your first experience of Paris-Roubaix? <laughs> yeah it was a mud bath <laughs> basically yeah I uh... Um, yeah, I got caught up there in, yeah, two crashes, one, um, I think Ellen Van Dyke and a couple other riders crashed, that was about the fifth sector, so it put me on the back foot, but just kept riding, because you never know in Perry Bay. Then we got on uh, Monzon Fave, and uh, the cars got backed up in front of me, and uh, there, yeah, no room to go around, so I had a, another mud bath there, trying to get around, um, yeah, so <laughs> it was... Hell of the North. <laughs> what was it like 
in the final kilometers before the first section did the peloton feel different nervous knowing what was coming up i know because i was stood there trek were at the front starting to stretch it out a bit and lizzie dignan got her gap there so what were those kilometers like yeah just uh full on there wasn't a, a moment to rest uh and the the wind really played a role in uh yeah when you have the wind being so strong for a team um, to to stick together and really use their numbers to uh, keep a rider like Lizzie safe until she can make a move. Um, yeah, that's a, a smart use of tactics. And how early was it when it became just everyone for themselves, really? Yeah, I mean, even in those that first 30k, it's uh, it, it was wild and hectic and chaotic. Um, but teams had numbers there and then yeah you just keep trying to better your position and um, yeah then, then really after the first three sectors yeah it, uh, with the wind it was already strung out broken up and then you just have to fight hard for whatever place you're in only six months to wait for the next one. Oh gosh six months I hope my blisters heal in time yeah <laughs> Well, the flames are going off there as the podium presentation gets underway. Lizzie Dignan goes down in history as the first woman to win Paris-Roubaix. And what a ride it was. I mean, I was there at the moment she started stretching away. She had a Trek teammate or two just behind her. It looked like a premeditated plan to hit that first section very hard. And by the time she passed you, Richard, she must have had a reasonable gap. And then by the time I switched on to the live coverage, the gap was up to a minute and it carried on going. And as you say, Mariana Voss, a brave pursuit, perhaps a little bit too late, but Paris-Roubaix is one of those races. It, it favours the brave, doesn't it? If you want to lay it all on the line early, you sometimes might get the reward. And certainly being out in front on her own, she had the road clear in front of her and uh, not back in the chase group where it was hectic. Well, it's funny, we were talking about this this morning, there, there was no blueprint for this race, there was no formula. They were going into uncharted territory and it's almost as if Lizzie Dynan and Trek Segafredo capitalised on that by just seizing the initiative in a very dramatic way. Now the blueprint has been established, you know, I mean, it's, it wasn't a long race, it was a short race. There were lots of sections of cobbles, but, you know, what she did was just about, it seems, on the outer edges of what was possible, and she did it. Uh, so now, you know, now we know how to win the Paris-Roubaix fam. You attack on the first sector of cobbles. I mean, it, it really was a fantastic ride. And when you say a short race, yeah, in distance, but the intensity of it, you know, over a quarter of the distance was on the pavé. And that that is brutally hard. And... Uh, well, the national anthem's playing. See you tearing up there, Lionel. <laughs> well, you know me, Richard. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to our long-term sponsor, Science in Sport, for their support of the Cycling Podcast. Very grateful to them. If you'd like 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com. And at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. Now, Lionel, it's lunchtime. We're hungry. We haven't been able to get anything. But luckily... <laughs> well, it's one o'clock, so logically all the restaurants and boulangeries in France have closed for Sunday lunch. Uh, so what do we have for lunch today? 
I've got a science and sport uh, gel, orange flavour. Is that one of your favourites? That is actually, yeah. I will have one of those. I've actually got the tiramisu energy bakes in the van. I'm going to wait until I get back there and have an energy bake for lunch to get me to the next sector, I think. Science and sport come in handy, haven't they, today? On, as we wait on the 28th cobbled sector for the, the men of Pirate Bay to appear They've come to our rescue. They have indeed. They came to my rescue a little bit when we were riding our recon ride on Friday as well. I had a, a cheeky SIS break. I don't know whether you noticed, but I, I, I tucked away a tiramisu bake. I, I'm, they are my favourite thing uh, that the Science and Sport extensive range has to offer. They're just they're that beautiful combination of energy-specific food, but they give you a little taste of something that you might have with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee in the mid-afternoon. Well, that was the first Women's Pyrobea historic occasion, a fantastic occasion, wasn't it, Lionel? We're in the velodrome now waiting for the finish to the men's race. We'll give you a, a, a summary of what's happened so far on that in a moment. But yesterday we uh, attended the press conference with the, the top three, Lizzie Dagnan, Marina Voss and uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini. And some really interesting stuff in there. Um, Lizzie Dagnan had a sleep in the morning. Um, uh, Longo Borghini thought that that was a sign that she was in terrific form. Dagnan also said that she um, had been only the number three in the team after Longo Borghini and Ellen Van Dyke. And that she attacked on that first sector of cobbles because her teammates seemed to be behind at that point. Now, Longo Borghini said that they were chasing to get back into the group there. So there was an opportunity. She was... In being in front, she was doing a great job for her team anyway, you know, so it was a perfect place for her to be. Initially, she was told by her team to ride at 75-80%, then at some point it, it, the order came to ride at 100%, which is what she did for 80 kilometres to hold on for that, that win. Yeah, it was a really impressive win, as we said. Um, you mentioned about Lizzie Dygan and having a nap. She actually said that she was just reading her book and she found that she closed her eyes and then woke up an hour later and uh, that's quite extraordinary on the morning of Peru Bay with uh, all of the cobbles ahead. The other thing that was notable was that as always she raced without wearing any gloves and she showed her blistered palms uh, in the press conference and there were some pictures floating around weren't there of uh, blood on her handlebar tape so that gives you some idea of you know the toll the physical toll that the cobbles can take uh, the jarring and and having to hold the handlebars I guess pretty tightly uh, as you're going over the cobbles Um, she said it was a surreal lap of the velodrome and she really cherished that last lap but there had been some nervous moments before because being chased by somebody of Mariana Voss's pedigree is not something to take lightly and the other thing that uh, we were tipped off about Richard while we were standing in the velodrome this time yesterday uh, somebody from Trek let us know uh, that they have basically been matching the men's prize money all year so one of the stories before the race was the disparity between the men's prize list and the women's prize list and it's not it's not a small gap that it's a it's an unexplainable gap an unjustifiable gap but fair play to Trek Segafredo they are leveling that up uh, that's probably not something that all of the teams have the financial resources to do but again as Lizzie Diagon made the point it's another step in the right direction and it does uh, highlight the disparity and put the pressure on to get things moving in the correct direction all three of the the top three really gave fantastic press conferences all individually actually it was the way that it worked out and uh, all really interesting and insightful and 
great ambassadors for their sport. They always have been, um, but they, they spoke very well. And they were a very, it was a very fitting top three for the first uh, Pirate Bay. And first Pirate Bay for women, I should say. And it was a day where there was other racing going on. You know, Primoz Roglic won in Italy. But the other, the other racing, the other stories in the cycle world were overshadowed by what happened here. And that was great as well. Um, obviously, there was novelty in it being the first one. But there was real interest as well in the race. And it was a great race. And I think... Um, you know, this is the way to build an audience as well, isn't it? Hopefully the whole race is broadcast next year, but I'm sure a lot of people who watched and enjoyed yesterday's race will tune in again next year or in, in six months. Yeah, before we wrap up the women's race, a couple of unfortunate incidents. Uh, Annemiek van Vluten of Movistar, she fell very heavily, didn't she, and has uh, suffered fractures. Um, a very unfortunate end to the season for her. And Ellen van Dijk, who... I would have thought would have been a big favourite for the women's tour, which of course starts tomorrow. She's the European road race champion, but also a very good time trialist, isn't she? She is the world time trial champion, recently crowned from Belgium, of course. But she fell very heavily, and uh, we saw her limping a little bit after the finish. There was a lovely moment, actually, as we came out of the Jean Stablinski velodrome, which is the indoor velodrome right next door to the outdoor velodrome here in Roubaix. That's where the press conferences were held. And as Lizzie Dignan came out of the press conference, Ellen Van Dyke, her teammate, of course, was there to greet her. We will wait. Well, I'll find out tomorrow morning when I am in Bicester in Oxfordshire. I think it's Oxfordshire. Whether Ellen Van Dyke has made it to the women's tour. I mean, that's also, also assuming that I make it to the women's tour. We've got a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross before we can get back into England tonight, Rich. <laughs> Lionel, you've been out at the Arenberg Forest watching the, the race um, go through that very famous uh, stretch of cobbles that we went and wrecked the other day on our bikes and decided not to ride, because they're horrible. Uh, you, met, you met the Mitch Stalker fan club there, but what, what did you see, if anything, of the race? Well, I was right at the very end of the section, and so there's been 3.6 kilometres of thundering cobbles uh, on that sector. When they came past me there are a couple of riders still away and then a chase group i think luke rowe must just have crashed out of my sight because he came past on foot walking uh, sort of dragging his bike i don't know whether he also had a puncture or a mechanical but it was really carnage there and where we saw it earlier rich the riders were still looking relatively pristine but by the time they got to the forest of arenberg the, the front of them was just a almost caked in cement really that's how they looked and once you've got past the, the first 20 or 30 riders it's then a very different feel because after that it's just a case of survival and I guess hoping that maybe they can concertina their way back up towards the front of the race but it had narrowed down a lot and um, well as we're standing in the velodrome now with just about 22 kilometers to go I think uh, we have a situation where Gianni Moscon is still just about out in front, I think. Well, about 15 minutes ago, I would have said Gianni Moscon was going to win Pyro Bay. Um, he had a minute and a half on a, a small chasing group that included Matthew van der Poel and Sonny Colbrelli, and he was looking very, very good. He then suffered a puncture, and then he suffered a crash, and his lead has, un not surprisingly, been crumbling ever since. He's just about holding on, but seems to have lost his nerve a little bit, I would say, judging by the way that he's riding over these cobbles. Although, having said that, they're incredibly slippery. And I think, with all the vehicles and, and, and you know, well, vehicles ahead of the race going over them, that, that's made it worse. We've seen lots of riders come off, lots of motorbikes come down as well. 
Guillaume Boivin of Israel Startup Nation has been one of the revelations of the day. He's just had a bad crash as well as we watch it. They're 18 kilometers ago. Uh, Moscon's still out in front, but the race seems to be very open. And it brings to mind uh, the words of Matt Heyman, who who always said, that somebody passed on this advice to him, the trick in Pirate Bay is just to keep riding, keep riding. And we've got Wout Van Aert in a group behind Matthew van der Poel. They're still riding too. Anything could still happen. It could, Rich. Um, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, but we do have to tackle Gianni Moscon's legacy. Uh, if he were to win this Paris-Roubaix, the first Paris-Roubaix for two and a half years, of course, it won't be a universally celebrated victory, will it? Because Moscon's conduct over the years has been far from ideal. Uh, remember, back at the 2017 Tour of Romandy, he was guilty of racially abusing the French rider Kevin Razor and was suspended from racing by his own team, Team Sky, for six weeks. Um, that was, a, I felt at the time, a way to kind of get around a, an official UCI sanction for that, maybe give him an opportunity to repent and rehabilitate uh, and uh, you know, think about how to conduct himself. Then, of course, at 20, in 2017 at the Tre Valle Valesina race in Italy, he was accused of deliberately crashing into the Francis de Jure rider, Sebastian Reichenbach. Now, Reichenbach had spoken out against uh, Moscon for his behaviour. There was an investigation, but it was dropped because there was a lack of evidence. There wasn't any TV footage, so it was a case of one word against another. In 2017, Moscon was also disqualified from the World Championships, uh, basically for taking a big toe off a car to get himself back up towards the front of the race. And then in 2018, he was kicked out of the Tour de France for punching Elie Gesbert uh, during the 15th stage. And then in 2020, at Kerner Brussels Kerner, he was disqualified because he threw his bike at Jens de Boucherer. And, um, you know, that is, not a, that is not a pleasant litany of incidents, is it? But as we reach the very final stage, I mean, Moscon there is, again, you know, once things start to go wrong for you, I think riding these sex of pavés is such a kind of confidence game as well. And he's slipping, Colbrelli's attacking now as they make the junction with Moscon. But I think Van der Poel has to be the favourite here. Yeah, and it really pulled me up short because uh, I was, I think at some point earlier in the podcast, I said it had been 18 months since we'd seen uh, an edition of Men's Pay Bay. It has, of course, been two and a half years, over 900 days. And this, of course, is Matthew Van der Poel's Pay Bay debut. Extraordinary. But here he is in a, well, in a very good position. But if it comes down to a sprint in the velodrome with Colbrelli that could be close well we'll join you again at that moment when the riders enter the stadium I mean I have to say this is and the, the sun is actually coming out now it's, it's dry it's stopped raining it's packed in here as it always is this is one of the great sporting venues isn't it um, when we sit stand here some people for hours stand or sit watching on the big screens here the riders racing on the cobbles you become so familiar with them. And we experienced this yesterday with Lizzie Dagen as well. We'd watched her for 80 kilometers out front on her own. And that moment when she appeared, when she actually materialized before our eyes, almost as if she was coming off the, out of the TV screen. It's, it's surreal and it's magical. And we're gonna have it again in about 30, 35 minutes here. You just said that, uh, the, I think you said the group had caught Moscon. My eyesight is not great, but I don't think that is quite the case. We may well have to have a live correction corner. I think we've just had one. Um, I just wanted to make, 
a comment about the venue here because in the middle of the track centre there's the podium and then there's these uh, posters to Bernardino, Eddie Merckx, Peter Sagan, Roger de Vlaminck of course. There must be a Tom Bonham one somewhere, yeah, there it is. And then the grandstand behind with the rainbow colours uh, of uh, the, the rainbow jersey. But it, there's a sort of shabby chic feel to this velodrome, isn't there? Um, it's it's a, a, a world-class venue for one of the great bike races. And yet that stand behind us looks a bit like it would be at home at a sort of non-league football ground. You're absolutely right about Moscon not having been caught quite yet. I should mention Florian Vermeers is still up in that group. He has run an extraordinary race. We got to know him a bit at the Vuelta. History student, a politician, still only 21 years old. A great talent. This is the outstanding performance of his career. Um, but the poster there of Bernardino um, reminds me, as well as seeing the Delco team in their La Vie Claire tribute jerseys, that we got the news today that Bernard Tappy had died overnight. Um, he's been quite unwell, but he was... The man whose money um, funded the La Vie Claire team in the 1980s, a very kind of modern, progressive team that was ahead of its time. And Tappy was a real... He didn't, he didn't hang around long in cycling, but, boy, did he make an impact when he was involved. And he was the man behind uh, Olympic Marseille, and controversially so as well. I won't go into the ins and outs of why they were stripped of a European Cup win. Corrections corner, they were stripped of a French league win. Francois might not uh, thank me for that, but coincidentally... Marseille are playing just down the road at Lille. It's about to kick off. We'll maybe, uh, maybe I'll get that on the phone after Paris finished. <laughs> well, we were both right, Rich. Um, Moscon was caught and then dropped, and the gap was opening up as quickly as it had been closed down, wasn't it? Moscon was 30 odd seconds ahead, and then he was 30 odd seconds behind. And uh, you mentioned something that had been on French television in the commentary the suspicion that perhaps a tyre pressure on his replacement bike, which he took after that rear wheel puncture, was perhaps a bit too high for those uh, sections of cobbles. He didn't look awfully comfortable. That could have been fatigue as well, of course. But either way, he had been undone and caught by the Vermeersch, Vanderpool, Colbrelli trio. And they are now heading to the very final section, uh, the little sort of ceremonial section of cobbles. It's only about 300 metres long. They're more sort of suburban cobbles just on this boulevard here before they swing into the velodrome and Florian Vermeers what a ride from him just been told as well by one of our Belgian colleagues that his father is a mechanic with Alps and Fenix so had he known that his son would be in the position he might have might have tinkered with uh, Matthew van der Poel's bike of course he wouldn't have they're on to that final section now, but Vermeers has launched an attack uh, he had a, a little go he's obviously feeling good he can sprint too I mean, we've got three very fast finishes here um, Colbrelli, Van der Poel and Vermeers. It's going to be a really, a really close race on the velodrome here. They all look tired, obviously, uh, but my, my money's starting to be on Colbrelli because I think he is, he, he's looked really the freshest of them all and he is obviously a great sprinter. And he has manoeuvred Matt Van der Poel into the lead as they approach here the come, velodrome, yeah. <laughs> KG around the velodrome, Van der Poel leads Colbrelli with Vermeers in the best position in third and sitting off them a little bit. Yeah, it is KG, isn't it? Van der Poel is taking the speed down. Maybe he thinks that's the best way to uh, eventually beat the other two. Leaving it late. 
Vermeers. Vermeers. Cobrelli. Whoa. From Vermeers. Van der Poel third. Wow. Vermeers looked very good there for a while, didn't he? But Colbrelli played it very cool. I thought when uh, Van der Poel manoeuvred him into the front a little bit, I thought maybe Colbrelli had blinked too early. But no, a great win that by uh, the European Road Race champion. Okay, let's try and speak to a few riders, Lionel. Well, Lionel, 2021 Paris-Roubaix is done and dusted. Didn't fully appreciate when the three riders appeared in the in the Velodrome. They're all debutants. So, um, Matthew van der Poel, Sonny Colbrelli, and Florian Vermeers, all debutants. Vermeers went early. He was the first to strike, wasn't he? And looked like he had it. Um, and when he ref you know, immediately after the finish, he was very disappointed, very upset. Um, he shouldn't be disappointed with his performance because he was the man of the match, really, in a lot of ways. He was at the front of the race all day. And at 22 years old, he's the youngest debutant podium finisher since Tom Bonin. And those comparisons are inevitable because he's Belgian, he's big, he's a cobble classic specialist. He's a history student, he's a politician, he had a political meeting the other night, his press officer just told us he's a former cyclocross rider. What are we going to call him? The mayor, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> that could be his nickname. Oh, that could be, Richard. I wonder where you got that idea. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes the perils of doing a second take on the cycling podcast mean that my, my jokes get stolen. In a, in <laughs> the mayor. <laughs> the oh, mayor. I can't believe I just thought of that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Well, listen, I grabbed a quick word with Florian Vermeer, so we're going to be hearing from... Uh, some of the people involved in Sonny Colbrelli's win in a moment or two. But let's hear what Florian Vermeer said immediately after the finish as he composed himself. You seem disappointed, although it was an incredible performance today. Yeah, I'm quite disappointed, but don't get me wrong, I'm also really proud, but yeah. It's just the way it happened. Just, I think at the finish line it was one meter, maybe, maybe more, but yeah, it's really... It's a bit shit. <laughs> to be at the front of the race all day, though, I mean, did you surprise yourself with the legs you had today? Well, yeah. I knew I was in a really good shape because I did the Vuelta, and then at the Worlds I was good, and on Wednesday in Eurometropole I had really good legs. But then in the race, yeah, I was in the front group, and it was like, like towards the cobbles, it was pretty relaxing because there was no stress, and then towards the first section there was little bit of pushing and positioning but uh, yeah and then I found myself with four guys uh, afterwards with two and yeah I just kept on going and I was never it was never in my mind that I would ride podium today I just wanted to get as far as I could and see where I ended up and to end up on the podium is incredible but it's like I said just the way it happened you know in the, in the sprint it's yeah. youngest podium finisher since Tom Bonin though yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true, but I don't like to make that comparison. I think, I think people will be making that comparison in Belgium, yeah, won't they? Yeah, they can, but I won't do it for myself because I think it's a bit dangerous, you know. Nevertheless, you've proven today that th these are races that, that suit you, and I'm, I'm sure that you'll be targeting them in the future. Yeah, for sure, the classics are, are my favorite kind of races, and that won't change in the, in the next year, I think. Extraordinary stuff, that, Richard. It just goes to show that in podcasting, like in cycling, you have to get over the line first, otherwise somebody else will nick the win from you. I mean, you, you pinched my uh, nickname there, but I'll, uh, I think I've mentioned enough times now that uh, I'm calling Florian Vermeersch the mayor from now on. Um, but the winners, Bahrain victorious. 
a real team performance for them today, wasn't it? Sonny Colbrelli, uh, Richard, you were talking up his chances for the World Championships. I wasn't poo-pooing those chances. I also thought he would do well on that circuit, but uh, you were just a week out. Um, he was imperious today, but it was a very good team ride by them because they had two riders in the early break, Fred Wright and Marco Haller, and Heinrich Hausler was there in a sort of policeman role, in the sort of lurking in the... Uh, in the shadows just in case um, and finished 10th and at the finish I spoke to Hausler uh, I also spoke to Tim Harris who was number two sports director for Bahrain Victorious today and also to Roger Hammond who was in the team car with the team's number one sports director Rolf Aldag now this place is very special to Roger Hammond of course because he was on the podium at Paris Bay during his career um, but let's hear from Hausler Harris and Hammond, and also from Fred Wright, who you spoke to. Heinrich, a, a win for your teammate and 10th place for you. How do you summarise your day? Oh, mate, I, like, at the moment, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm almost crying because I'm that happy, but I'm just that completely I just, I can't show any happiness at the moment. I just can't believe it, you know, Sonny is a machine. He, you know, come here, he's first time in Rebay and pulls it off kills it in a rebay like this you know you don't get any it doesn't get any harder than this i mean <laughs> if the team's smart they'll, they'll give him a new contract and just sign him for six years <laughs> how did it compare to the previous editions of this race you've done i mean you're completely caked in in mud uh, but i mean how how what was it like when you started to hit the cobbles Actually, for me, it was better when, once we started to hit the cobbles because before it was just uh, very hectic and um, I was riding super low pressure today and uh, to be honest, the first 90Ks I was suffering a bit just because of the low pressure, but once I hit the cobbles, I felt very comfortable. So, Tim, I guess that's the uh, embodiment of a plan coming together, but can you plan on a day like today? Okay, we knew, obviously, that Sonny was going super well because it, uh, yeah, with the European Championship and all the recent wins that he's had so um, yeah all you can plan is that you're near the front and you're spared from too much uh, bad luck and that the team rides together so if there's any uh, uh, complications then you can help out and actually the team is super good today we had Fred Wright and Marco Hallow in that third move, first move unfortunately both of them punched out of it um, and then uh, Hausler was also super good um, so yeah I would say it was a team uh, a team effort but a super super Sonny Colbrelli Is there a little bit of a game of chicken when it comes to Vanderpool because he is strong and he does want to take things on himself so was uh, were you just hoping that Colbrelli would sort of sit tight and play it smart? Well I think the advantage really today was all of those three riders none of them had ridden Paris Roubaix before which is quite strange as Sonny's 31 uh, actually and Matthews also yeah I'll see 25 maybe so it's very surprising that none of them have done it so really it was a bit of an unknown card coming into the stadium but Sonny's very quick so uh, uh, you just have to make sure that uh, that, that, that Vanderpool didn't get away and then if it comes down to sprint then, then Sonny's always going to be the favourite in that situation but know as well as I do that after a long long race you never know uh, what can happen in, in, in a sprint so it's always uh, um, nerve-wracking till the, till the line. And I mean it does appear like there's a, a, a great team spirit because uh, Heinrich Hausler and Marco Haller particularly uh, have you know been to uh, congratulate Sonny Cobrelli on his win 
a I, nice it, a victory for the team, really. Yeah, because we were already in Belgium on Wednesday. We we had uh, we did a recon on the on the on the Thursday and the Friday of all the sections. Uh, so we've been here. So um, yeah, it's a, the, and certainly for this race, everybody was super motivated to do it. Also because it's been not been on for sort of yeah for the two years nearly. Um, and also Hausler's so motivated he brings a whole a whole team up and, and he's so experienced here that for him that's uh, yeah it was, I was so happy for him as well that he did such a good ride Roger it's probably conventional wisdom that it used to take years for riders to kind of learn what it took to win Paris-Roubaix but Sonny Colbrelli's done it at the first attempt yeah, yeah, we, we always thought there would be, um, if it, it's a bit of a chance of a lifetime actually, so that's why we put uh, Mate back in and, and Sonny back in here, because what you've got to remember is, 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 is what happened 900 days since the last rebate, so it's not, everybody's a bit more, um, that level to playing field a little bit, and then the, the rain gods answered the, the rain, rain song, and this 20 years ago, so there's not one bike rider that's got any more more knowledge about riding in the on the cobbles in Roubaix than Sonny. So everyone was on a level playing field. So if there was ever a chance to do it the first time out, it was this time we thought. So um, yeah, one of those things, isn't it? And lastly, from your point of view, I mean, this this velodrome is a special place for you, probably the outstanding memory of your own career. But what does it mean to be part of the management team to have helped put this together today? Yeah, no, I mean, it means it means a hell of a lot. I mean, you you know, you, we didn't have a camera in our car, but you'll see how much it meant in the car to all of us. There's a lot, you know, like I say, we, all of the projects we do, we do, we work hard at. But you know, in the car today, the last five k was silent, absolutely silent, and that's different to. That's different to um, different to a lot of races. You know, we talk and we discuss scenarios and exits, plans from the race and all sorts. But today was just absolutely silent. So you know, there's, there's something different. It's a monument, isn't it? It's a monument, and a monument that you know there was a lot of years of trying to win it in the car and none of us ever did. So um, you know, yeah, to be to come in, I remember how much it meant to me coming in to sprint for the win, and you know, there we were in that same situation, sprinting for the win. You know, we're very much it's, it's a team. We, we went we went for it as a team and there's a lot of work into it you don't win this as a rider alone but I mean obviously what Sonny did was incredible but um, you know as you can see it was a team just tell me about that because you obviously would have pulled the car off the deviation there so you would probably be in a couple of hundred meters yeah. away from here just watching on the TV well, hoping the thing always freezes doesn't it TV always freezes I think ASO blocked the signal to the telephone network so we had to ask somebody on next to us and they're like yeah Sonny won we're like oh come on are we going to celebrate we go, oh, yeah we'll celebrate anyway is it confirmed yeah I Okay, it's confirmed. That would have been a cruel, a cruel joke if it hadn't been him. But yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, it's that. It's always the same in the car. You just watch the people all day long, and then a crucial moment, TV stops, and then you just sat there waiting until race radio pipes up. They're frightened to say just in case they got it wrong. And then uh, you know, the spectators in Australia know who's won before we do in the team car. Actually, it's uh, bloody irritating. But anyway, it is how it is. <laughs> When did you hear, how did you hear that Sonny Colbrelli had won the race? Well, I saw everyone crowded over there and I thought, you know, what, what, why, is, why Heino and Marco, what's, what's everyone looking so happy for, you know? And then, yeah, asked Marco and said, where was Sonny? Oh, yeah, he won. That was after the finish. Yeah, 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 after the finish. I, I sort of lost radio from the last sort of 20k, so, yeah. I mean, we saw uh, from your team, uh, Matty Morich was, was very present at the front of the bunch. You had Marco Haller in the, in the group. You were up there as well. You know, what was the kind of team plan going into the, the day? To be honest, we all kind of had the same, the same job. Apart from apart from Johnny at the start, he was you know getting us into that early sectors, and then really for all of us it was just helping each other, 
covering moves. You know, you can't. We didn't really want to go into the race with a full-on one one captain because then and take you know take guys out the back when he gets out the back and all that sort of stuff. It was sort of a bit more of a fluid fluid kind of plan, and I think that that really worked. You know, with like we were in in the moves when we needed to be and. No, it was perfect. It was perfect. Your race, I mean, you were active at the front, but you had some bad luck as well. Yeah, I just had the bad. I guess that's that's what comes with this race, you know. I had three punches in the space of what 15, 20 minutes on the sector before Arenberg and on Arenberg. A little crash as well, but I kept saying in my head, you just got to keep going. I nearly got back to a, a more you know front group, but in the end, I just rolled with a, a decent sized group to the finish, but. Ah, oh, what a race, what a race. Did you, did you, you seem like you enjoyed it. Did you actually enjoy it in the moment? I think it was one of them. I was sat in the bunch at the start, you know, like little, the, you know, breaking and kind of, I was a, it was a bit nervous and I was thinking, man, this is just going to be hell. So as soon as I, you know, saw the opportunity to jump in that break when the, in the sort of crosswinds, I was like, as soon as I was there, group of 30 looking behind like, oh, <laughs> like the worst place I can enter the next sectors is 30th and that, you know that's not so bad you know when you're in the bunch so I, that was yeah straight away I was like sort of gone from being a bit nervous and cacking my pants a bit to actually like okay this is I'm up for this let's, let's do it because I was in the, in the front move so yeah so celebration tonight yeah, yeah. It's gonna be I think I think there's been guys with flights that are t tonight but I don't think they're gonna be taken and I think we're gonna be all in celebrating that's what a man what a man well Lionel Byron victorious I mean how we how we scoffed when they renamed themselves Byron victorious at the start of the year but it's worked it, I wonder whether we should change our name the best cycling podcast for next year should we change our name uh um, I think we should just leave others to the, the greatest cycling podcast that's ever been. Yeah, I think I, I think maybe this is now end of season cycling Before, podcast yeah. victorious. <laughs> now you're just being ridiculous. Well, anyway, it was uh, yeah quite quite a story. Um, and the other man on the podium, Matthew Van der Poel. Yeah, Van der Poel perhaps did a bit much, but he had to do that work because at the time Gianni Moscon was ahead and he had what looked like a very dangerous, possibly even unassailable advantage uh, until the puncture and the crash. The onus was always going to be on Van der Poel because we've seen him do this before, haven't we? Just, you know, through sheer strength of will as, as well as sort of talent and ability, ride people off his wheel, close down gaps. Um, I think Daniel's called it PlayStation cycling, hasn't he? Uh, the, you know, the way that Van der Poel seems to be able to just coast over the roads and, and close gaps very quickly perhaps did a bit too much because when he came to the velodrome he didn't quite have it and he was didn't look a happy bunny it has to be said as he was walking across from the podium uh, sort of shaking his head a little bit as uh, the, the the tv cameras were were capturing him um, in his moment of disappointment i suppose yeah it was a chance for him today wasn't it but he has had this back injury and he's perhaps not 100% I, I thought he looked quite tired in the closing stages you would expect that but when when Vanderpool's on form he's sort of irresistible isn't he when he's at his very best it was a debut performance I'm sure he'll be back here to try and win it Wat Van Aert his great rival said at the finish he was also obviously very disappointed but he said at the finish that he felt he made too many mistakes as well that he was too far back at moments that he really paid for efforts that he had to make to, to chase the race and uh well, Vermeers, who we heard from earlier, had the advantage of being at the front 
the whole day and he said how much he really enjoyed the conditions and thrived in them so we'll see how he gets on in a dry Pyro Bay in the future I guess won't we a rider we heard from earlier on Matthew Jorgensen um, he rode a very very good race he featured in that move as well his debut he was not expecting much from today having crashed yesterday so I think he surprised himself and well he had an eventful day as we'll hear now yeah, I got an early break and then I started to realize, wow, behind it must be carnage, you know, there must, I mean, my radio didn't work at all, so the first kilometer radio stopped working, and so I was like, well, behind, I bet it's all uh, crashed, and so I just kept riding, 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 and I, I only had gels in the first four hours, I couldn't eat anything else, and eventually my stomach got super, super bad, and I had to pull over for a... Uh, a, uh, yeah, nature break number two, two times, and yeah, I, I've never done that in a race, and I hope to never do it again, and uh, yeah, and then I just kept riding, riding, and eventually I was just alone out there, I did like the last 40k completely alone, and just going as hard as I could, because last race of the season, so why not, well, it feels amazing to finish, to be honest. A lot of those sectors, it was like surfing on your bike, it was absurdity, I mean, your rear, rear wheels just going left, right, left, right, and it's like, well, I don't know how I stayed upright. Yeah, Did I, you ever crash today? I never crashed, no. Amazing that I didn't crash. I was in the early break and up there it was pretty calm, like, you know, I, I mean, it was like 20 guys, so you're just kind of in line, but still guys were crashing left and right in the breakaway and well, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I got through without crashing. Yeah, it truly was a day for debutants, wasn't it? Um, one of the riders in that second group was Jonas Ruch, the young German rider with EF Education, Nippo, and he, well, he tried to uh, go for a bit of a long one to perhaps win that bunch sprint, but ended up finishing last in the group. But I asked him how he had found his first experience of Paris-Roubaix, and, well, he pretty much had a one-word answer. Don't worry, he does say a bit more after that, but I asked him what he made of today's race. Can you sum up your day in Paris-Roubaix? Brutal. It was a brutal hard day from the beginning to the end. And uh, yeah, I had a bit of bad luck in the beginning and in the end. Two flat tires. One in the probably worst moment was, uh, on the second last pavé. And uh, yeah, but that's also sport, that's also cycling. And that's for sure also Paris Roubaix. And uh, I think in the end I can can be kind of happy um, with the with the output. Um, I I tried I tried everything I had in in me today. Let it all let it all out there, and yeah, then it is what it is. What was the plan, or can you even have a plan on a day like today? Yeah, the plan was find your own rhythm, try to stay as long as possible in the front, and then see how you end up. And how aware were you of exactly where you were on the road and what the time gaps were? Well, in, uh, in some sections or moments I lost, uh, lost the overview of the race. I just was in my own world and I kept going, kept going, kept going. And yeah, then I had a flat tire uh, in the end and I tried to, to come back. I came back and yeah, I know exactly I, I will not have the best sprint here. After, after that effort, so I tried to take one lap to go, came from the upper part of the track and went down and had a little gap, I think, but yeah, was was not enough, so yeah. But come back another year, you're obviously made for this race. Yeah, obviously, that's what, what everybody told me and I think today I proved it a bit. 
speaking of EF Education, Nippo, any update on Mitch Docker? Yes, well, I have the provisional results, Richard, and Mitch was a non-finisher, as a lot of riders were, so he didn't make it to the velodrome, but we will hear all about his day in Life in the Peloton, which will be out on Wednesday, the road to Roubaix, uh, talking all about the build-up to his final race as a professional. I mean, a really brutal day, um, particularly after the recent months that he's had, possibly asking a lot to think that he could just, you know, coast to the finish. You can't coast to the finish in a race like Paris-Roubaix on a day like this. It was uh, it was pretty brutal from the very early stages, wasn't it? I'm looking forward to listening to that. He was determined to make it to the Veldrum, wasn't he? So I'm sure he's bitterly disappointed, but he's not the only one to not make it. It was a really, really tough, tough day out there and one that we'll remember for a long time. And Lionel, it's been great having you back over in France since the first time since the Tour de France, I guess, which wasn't that long ago. Uh, covering this race and you're you're not even getting off the horse in order to get back on it you're the horse is just galloping now uh, back to to england and the women's tour starting tomorrow it is yeah i was thinking yesterday about lizzie dignan having finished Paris bay and then what under 40 hours later she'll be starting the women's tour in you're not going to make a comparison are you Lionel? i'm not going to make a comparison at all but i mean it's quite a quite a schedule that i'm no i'm not i'm not reflecting this through my own hectic schedule <laughs> although i must say we do have to get back into the uk tonight tonight is the last night of any kind of coronavirus protocols with tests needing to be done in advance and and, and declarations of, of whereabouts and all that kind of thing. At four o'clock tomorrow morning, all of that is uh, just disappearing. And you'd be able to just travel across the border with no difficulty. So I'm hoping that we can get into England tonight so I can be in Bicester. Uh, but either way, I will be at the first stage of the women's tour tomorrow. Nightly coverage with road captain Rose Manley and team leader Lizzie Banks. Uh, I'm very much the domestique in this uh, line. Domestique deluxe? I'm, I wouldn't even go that far. No, I mean, uh, I'll just be fetching fetching and carrying. I'm quite happy to do that. One little um, footnote from today, Lionel, before I let you go. They kind of quick step. Disappointing day for them. Zdenek Stebar looked very good um, at points in the race today. Eve Lampert as well looked good, but had a lot of bad luck. And it could just be it was a day of, of the, the bad luck for them. Casper Askreen as well. Uh, was a rider we expected to be up there but wasn't but yeah uncharacteristically poor day for De Koenig quick step Eve Lampert fifth in the end which is decent decent result but not what they came for yeah I think decent result for anyone but De Koenig quick step that isn't it they do expect podium positions in Paris-Roubaix and uh, the Tour of Flanders and, and the big monument so yeah but they were never really in contention were they in, in the, the very important splits they weren't in the Van der Poel Van Aert type uh, axis when, when that was all kicking off so you know Lampart looked a bit isolated Tim de Klerk of course was in the break but I think had a pretty tough time when they came past us uh, the third section of cobbles he was off the back of the break at that point but I just wanted to ask you Rich lastly uh, the weather today was terrible this morning and then it did get better it dried up a bit brightened up a bit and as you say the sun came out but what's your verdict on an autumn Paris-Roubaix or or do you think that really this is a spring race and this is just an anomaly holding it in early October? It's, it's felt anomalous also because it's been over two days. You know, that, that it's been the first time we've had the... So it's felt almost like a mini stage race in a way rather than a one-day classic. Um, but I, 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 ask me after next year, I think, once we've had the Saturday-Sunday 
spring version of Pyro Bay. Yeah, I think it is a, a spring race. Um, it could have been a beautiful autumn day today. It wasn't. It was a miserable autumn day. Um, but on a beautiful spring day, it gives me a new appreciation for a dry Pyro Bay. No longer will I hope for wet Pyro Bay because it was it was a great race. It was epic, all the rest of it. But um, I don't think that the drama and the excitement was increased by the the bad weather and. It, it, you know, it took riders out of contention who might otherwise have been in contention and made it an even more exciting race. Paris-Roubaix actually won't return to its normal April slot the week after the Tour of Flanders next year, will it, either because of uh, the French election taking place. So Paris-Roubaix and Amstel Gold Race have uh, agreed to swap dates. So th- it, that will be quite unusual, won't it? The two cobbled classics a fortnight apart instead of one week apart. And it'll be interesting to see you know, what impact that has on the whole spring campaign for teams. But it's been a fantastic few days um, and really enjoyed it all. We rode the cobbles ourselves on Friday. We recorded some bits and pieces while we're out in the cobbles and we'll, we'll include that in a, an episode of Explore uh, coming out sometime soon because um, that was fun as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been, been a great trip. Lionel, I hope you've enjoyed it too. I have, yeah. It's been great to be reunited with you. I've, I've, it struck me that I'd obviously not seen you since the Tour de France, but it's the first time that me, you and Simon have been together since before the pandemic. And uh, yeah, I kind of realised how much fun it is being at the bike races. Here's to many more. Well, safe trip home, Richard. I think you'll be home before me, unless you have some kind of COVID protocol to get back into your village. I don't know. Didn't think so. Good luck at the women's tour as well, Lionel. Uh, thank you. I may need it, but I'm in very capable hands. I think Lizzie knows a thing or two about women cycling, and so does Rose. It can be fine. You've been listening to the Cycling Podcast with Lionel Burney and Richard Moore. To become a friend of the podcast or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, go to thecyclingpodcast.com. Our theme music is by Glass Pear. And this episode was produced by Adam Bowie.